Welcome back to the You Blockity podcast with me, Don Birch. This is the podcast where we get to speak to thought leaders and experts from across the industry. And I'm delighted to welcome back onto the podcast, Ellen Moorhead, who is the Agriculture Tech Manager here at Your Blockity. Now, the last time we caught up with Ellen uh, was before she got married. So you'll, uh, you'll know her as Ellen Marks. But Ellen, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Don. Thanks very much for having me. So let's start, just give us a little bit of background to you then. So you work for Ublockity, but what was your route into getting involved in blockchain and technology? My route into blockchain is probably not a traditional route into blockchain like some others, especially within the technology industry. I actually studied agricultural technology at Queen's University Belfast alongside CAFRI, the College of Agriculture and Food and Rural Enterprise. Um, So basically it was a degree in agriculture. I come from a very strong farming background and I've always been very much so interested in agriculture and farming. Never did I think I would see myself in a technology role, never mind blockchain. So coming into a blockchain kind of working environment has been a really steep learning curve for me, but one that I've thoroughly enjoyed so far. And it's fair to say that in your role, what you're trying to do often is weave the best of technology, but also redesign processes so that farmers, suppliers, food manufacturers or whatever can actually start to move their goods in a way that's frictionless. Just give us a bit of a sense of, you know, what the day job looks like. Maybe give us an example of some of the work you've been up to over the last year or two. Yeah, exactly, Dom. I suppose the way I see my role is that I'm kind of the bridge between the really techy kind of stuff and getting that into a practical working environment where people can actually make use of that technology on the ground. So from my perspective, I'm looking at that from an agricultural industry, farming, supply chains, food products. And I think that's something that's really prevalent in today's UK industry-wide when we're thinking about the movement of goods and imports, exports, and how we kind of get through all of this kind of stuff at the minute. So the kind of day job for me is that we're so you mentioned there at the start of the podcast that I also help coordinate a newly formed consortium, which is TETA. Um, so it stands for Technology Enabled Trading Alliance. And what we're trying to do within this consortium is help people in various stages of the supply chain move their goods into and out of the country. The day job for me is looking at one specific example could be farmers trying to export meat products out of the country that previously were high premium products um, sent out as chilled goods. However, because of the delays and things that they're facing now, these goods are now sent out as frozen and are non-premium products. So they're not even making a margin on them anymore. It's merely just to retain customers. So we're looking at how we can help within supply chains using technology, using our blockchain, using all of this information that we can gather to help export goods out of the country and vice versa. We also have to check imports coming into the country too. This isn't just for food products. We're thinking about live animals moving into and out of the country as well it can be applied to basically anything so from my perspective I'm looking at it with my farmer hat on and thinking how can I sell my breeding animals and how can I get my animals exported out of the country with all of this rigorous paperwork that we're kind of currently going through at the minute so that's kind of the the basics of what the day job looked like at the minute and I mean let's give an example then so because you're a farmer yourself you and your sister farm rare breed sheep there in Northern Ireland. And and part of your business would be moving those sheep to the Republic of Ireland, which crosses a border, but, you know, people who understand the geography, there's no checkpoints at those borders. So there's no, unlike, say, Dover, Calais, you're not actually having to go through sort of a port of entry or exit or a, 
uh, checkpoint. So just describe how regulations mean that you, you know, what, what do you have to actually go do and how might technology make that more seamless in the future? So our farm at home, we have pedigree sheep and commercial sheep, but we also have cattle as well. And it's more so on our cows that we're facing a lot of extreme paperwork and things like that too. So movement of live animals into for toxic the south of Ireland. So you're right, there is no border control points, if you like. There are no ports. There, It's a border, but it's the geography of it is that we don't get stopped at those borders. So for us to move our live animals to the Republic of Ireland for toxic, our cows, we are there's huge expenditure with it. So we have to isolate the cows on our farm for 28 days. We have to fill in rigorous amounts of paperwork. We have to do extra blood testing. We have to BVD sample. We have to do all of these kind of extra things, which all accumulates. And we have to have veterinary checks done prior to the animals leaving the farm, 24 hours prior to the animals leaving. In the farm and all of this added paperwork and things it all adds up and it, last year it cost us probably around 115 pound per head to get our animals moved to the south of Ireland so that other farmers can buy in these animals for breeding purposes for genetics and so on and so on there's a lot of adverse realities that are happening on the ground for farmers to be able to basically do their day jobs and that's kind of where the perspective I look at these things well how can we use technology to kind of enable these farmers to do these things a lot easier and a lot more seamlessly and why do we need a vet to come out 24 hours prior to that animal leaving when that vet has probably seen that animal at many points within its lifetime or why do these animals have to be isolated for 28 days although they've lived on this farm their entire lives so um, it's asking those questions what is practical and what is realistic and how can we use technology to enhance this process and make it easier for farmers and buyers and, and it's understandable isn't it that all these checks and balances are there for a reason but i suppose if it's there to you know well as a risk-based system i guess isn't it and, and as a way of authenticating that something really is what it is and that when it moves that it you know it has its sort of pet passport or its cow number as it would be now your bloxy actually has its roots in agriculture, isn't it? So your first job was sort of predates you, Blockerty, and that was tagging animals with these GPS tags. Just talk us through that, because that was probably the start point, wasn't it, where you, Blockerty, started to think about how can it use different types of science and technology and then store that information on a blockchain so that, if you like, the truth can carry all the way along that supply chain. Prior to Ubloquities formation, um, I worked alongside a number of Ubloquities founders in a different company where we tagged animals based here in Northern Ireland, specifically on beef farms. We tagged those animals with EID and DNA sampling tags. The tags were then linked to geolocations of a farm and any interaction that was then had with that tag, we recorded all of the information associated with that animal onto our blockchain. So that's kind of where our roots were. Then when New block where he was found obviously this was something that we were always very very passionate about and understanding the proof of origin and guarantee and all of that authentic information that goes alongside that animal so yeah our roots were very much so agriculturally based and i suppose that's where we're always looking to get back to and that's where we're always kind of focused on too supply chains are so diverse as well that we get into different things and be it spices be it any other food product and initially it was livestock but like I say, supply chains are across the border facing a lot of these kind of added paperwork and added checks and added administration, I suppose. Although it was very much so agriculture, I think this is a problem across supply chains. 
And I guess that starting point of if you can create a digital twin of a, of a cow in a field with a GPS tag, that then led, did it, to actually working alongside Fujitsu with Atomai and, and just imagining that that wagon or that truck or that consignment was also a digital twin. And as long as you could securely attach your tag to it effectively, then you had then, you know, a footprint, you had a sort of, you know, a dotted line of where that product was at any point. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of the principles of it. If we're tracking a cow, why can we not track a trailer and why can we not track these other things? So I think that was kind of the brainstorming side of it. And that's how we kind of got into working with Fujitsu and how Atomai Freight kind of came about. And when we were thinking about it and how we tried it, thought about the tracking and tracing of those um, trucks crossing borders with the product on the back of it and all of the documentation and so on and so on that would need to go with that consignment. And I suppose that's how that got us into that frame of mind of thinking about how we track and trace basically anything and how we create a digital twin of anything, I suppose. And you were involved with Finnebrogue, who are one of the sort of early pilot partners of, of Atomai. Just talk through that process then. So, you know, you go into a food manufacturer in Northern Ireland, and I guess what you're having to do at first is just, I guess, capture the sort of analogue process to see where the pinch points are. And then when you layer on top the sort of technological solution, how they might sort of gain those efficiencies. Just explain sort of how you went about that. I presume you had to spend a few days walking around warehouses and <laughs> with a clipboard watching what people were up to. Yeah, exactly. Finnebrook are fantastic in the initial stages of the pilot with Atomai Freight. I spent a lot of time with the guys down at Finnebrook. Initially, it was going in and understanding their processes and what do they do and what does their day-to-day job look like I suppose in terms of intake of goods processing them goods how do they store them how do they get out the other end and and their entire process I suppose is what I wanted to understand initially and in doing so and asking those questions and kind of following in their footsteps for a couple of days you soon realized where their pains were and where the problems were and how we could assist in that I suppose um, and some of the things that were very prevalent were that understanding where their consignments were at any point in time when they were going to be arriving the visibility of their loads on route in and I suppose the guarantee or the knowing that their goods have the potential to transit a border without being uh, subjected to rigorous investigations, I suppose, because of all of this insights that the ports were also seeing of where their consignments were and on route, who had opened the lorry, who had sealed the lorry, when it had left the facilities and things like that, you know. Um, I suppose that all really, really helped. And in doing so, that had a knock-on effect then. So when goods were arriving at Finnebrough, they could then forward plan in terms of their internal processes, be it uh, who they had on at intake when people were taking their breaks internal planning of what food products they were going to manufacture that day based on their incoming consignments and I suppose it was really understanding their processes and where we could fit in to help with that I think that's the most important thing understanding where people are having their pains and where they're having their problems and adapting our technology and adapting our understanding to say well how can we address that problem and how can we provide a solution for it. Now somebody who's a farmer and comes from that kind of agriculture background I bet you would have never have guessed that you'd have been awarded Young IT Professional of the Year. Tell us a bit about that and what it's like being in that kind of 
relatively small group, I would imagine, of young women leaders who are specialising in the IT sector and and some of the opportunities that have arisen on the back of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, Dom, technology is something that was never at the forefront of my mind. And I never thought I would see myself in a technology sort of role ever prior to joining your blog or meeting any of the co-founders at that time. I was absolutely useless with technology till a point where I was nearly afraid to use my computer. Um, So I would say winning the young IT professional of the year um, was a shock because technology is not my my forerunner if you like but I would say I've adapted really well and I've picked up a lot of things I've learned so much within the technology industry and looking back on it now I think it's a fantastic opportunity you've got to learn something new you've got to do something different I've kind of got to bring that technology back into my grassroots which is very much so agriculture and the opportunities that have came from that have just been phenomenal have been endless and the people that I've met and the network that I've created has been absolutely fantastic and that's with no thanks to everybody else that I'm working with as well they bring me into conversations and they introduce me to people which is absolutely fantastic for me as a young person within the industry that probably doesn't have many connections in the technology industry so that's been a really really good thing for me too and I would say that I would probably be a lot more open-minded now like you say I'm kind of a niche working within these industries as well and not coming from a technology background as well I'd be more open-minded that people can adapt and people can change to different working environments as long as there's an interest there and there's a want to do something I suppose. And you also got to be in the presence if not meet personally some really really amazing women leaders just tell us a little bit about that oh i absolutely did yes so around the agreement 25 events that were happening here in northern ireland um, there were a number of fantastic speakers that came to a women in business event uh, which was international voices of leadership so i had the absolute pleasure of listening to um, hillary clinton mary michael lace sherry blair um, and so many others sarah fryer and a lot of other different entrepreneurs that are working within the industry and have done so much with their careers it was absolutely fantastic for me as a young person to hear their journeys their successes their failures and their advice um it was an absolutely fantastic event to attend and i suppose looking back on it now for me to give advice to anybody else it would be very much so to take every opportunity that's probably presented to you and ask as many questions as you can i'd say people in your block already think i'm the nosiest person ever because i never stop asking questions and i'm ringing people up and asking questions and things you know but i think it's good to be curious and it's good to have that want to know more information and let's just wheel back round to where we started then so teta there's this new consortium that i guess you've helped spearhead you know and it's got a number of different partners involved bringing sort of technology and and, and looking at how do traders, whether they're bringing food into the country or trying to export their, their products out, start to use different types of technologies and different types of science and even IoT devices to create, I guess, a, a sort of a, an ecosystem of trust, right? To be able to validate things and hold that information in such a way that it means you can start to, I don't know, free up time of people like vets, as you were saying earlier. Just give us an example then of, I don't know, there's a a meat manufacturer, say, in Wales, right, and they're trying to export their meat. How many interventions would that typically have from somebody having to come into, what, the farm and the abattoir and then check the goods at the border? Just talk us through something like that. 
Yeah, exactly. And I suppose that's a good example to start with. Um, for the likes of somebody trying to export meat products, there are a number of vet interventions that they would have to have at multiple different points within the supply chain. So the likes of using this kind of technology that the TETA consortium are, are bringing to the table, that takes away a lot of those, say, vet interventions and the cost associated with it that we're thinking about using IoT devices. We're talking about using remote witnessing. Um, we're talking about using mass spectrometry sampling and things like that too and there's so much different technology that we bring together as a consortium that has one has one basic solution to the entire supply chain using that technology um, I suppose is quite straightforward and it's quite simple I would also say that it's something that will probably be adopted a lot more within the industry as we move forward. Technology is something that is so prevalent in a lot of industries now that the adoption of technology is a lot easier and it's a lot more streamlined than it would have been 10 years ago. Um, So I don't think it's something that we should be afraid of. I think it's definitely something that we should be embracing industry-wide. That technology can be implemented at any stage within the supply chain, be that right at the grassroots with the farmers to within the abattoirs, within the food business operators within processors it could be within the haulage aspect of it like that my freight project it could be right to the other end to the retailers and the consumers so it can be implemented the whole way along the supply chain at any point and every point would link up to provide the full story i suppose and it's really important isn't it because there'll be people listening who might have had their fingers burnt by big technology projects in the past and as soon as you start mentioning things like blockchain and iot devices and what was the spectrometry one i can't even say that you know people might just be a little bit resistant but it sounds like when they've got somebody like yourself who's kind of pretty grounded and comes from a farming background it's sort of like a no-nonsense approach is there a better way to do the stuff that we're already doing that's gonna be simpler and you know frankly save everybody a bit of money and that is very much so our approach to it. It needs to be something that is better, simpler, faster, and it's going to save money in the long run. There's no point trying to implement something that's actually going to take more time and, and be a lot more training and cause more hassle and cost a lot more money within the supply chain, because what's the point of adopting that technology if it's not going to streamline the process anymore? So like I say, there's a vet shortage within the country and vets are being asked to do a lot more checks within the supply chains, um, maybe four and five times throughout one product. So the like this technology that can enable a vet to maybe remote witness something that can remotely and um, digitally signature against something you know and that that's the thing too is making it easier for everybody within the supply chain and taking some of the cost out of it as well and this isn't even just going to help the farmers on the ground or the abattoirs it's going to go right through the supply chain and help the consumer at the other end well ellen listen we could talk all day but <laughs> we've squeezed a lot in i think in 20 <laughs> minutes nonetheless but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on to the podcast. But for the meantime, Ellen Moorhead, who's the Yablocrity Agritech Manager and also the Consortium Lead and Coordinator for TETA, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks very much, Tom. 